Welcome to the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast. The world is changing faster than ever, and the world of education is too. Advances in psychology, biology, and a whole range of other fields have opened up new lines of thought about the purpose of school and how it can best serve a new generation of students. Join me on the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast every week to explore these new ideas. In our last episode, we spoke with University of Toronto's UNICEF student outreach team. In today's episode, very, very happy to be joined today by my guest, Jason Fonger. Jason is a competitive triathlete who has raced all over the world and has been able to succeed in his sport while maintaining a 100% plant-based diet. Jason also has a background in teaching and education resource development. When he's not training for competition, he connects his love of teaching with his love of physical fitness by educating young people about the athletic, environmental, psychological, and physiological benefits of adopting plant-based eating habits. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Mike. Good to be here. So I always start off, just want our audience to get a bit more familiar with our guests. Uh, if you don't mind, introduce yourself to them. Tell us... Uh, about your background, maybe a, a bit about how you got into uh, triathlon racing, um, and especially how you've turned that into uh, an education-facing profession. Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, I grew up, <clears throat> like many kids in Canada, playing hockey. Uh, I was on skates when I was, I think, probably four or five years old and played all through elementary school and uh, kind of got out of that in high school. I stopped playing hockey. My athletic talent um, didn't appear to be anything exceptional. I was always kind of, you know, middle of the pack. I played kind of single A rep on the good years and, you know, selector house league on the not so good years. But uh, yeah, you know, sort of had that little bit of athleticism just growing up with, you know, um, the hockey thing and doing some skateboarding and snowboarding. But in, in high school, I really focused on music. Actually, I was sort of appeared to be have a little more talent in that area. So and I, and I really enjoyed it. So I'm focused on music throughout high school and went to ended up going to Humber College they have a jazz program there so I got my um, music degree there and uh, and it was during you know during that time that I adopted a plant-based diet and um, I guess sort of long story short over the years I have just realized how much of you know how many positive effects um, can come from just this one thing of choosing to eat more plants um, so that's sort of just snowballed. I mean, it started with, I mean, I did it originally for kind of health and ethical reasons, but it snowballed into, you know, there's all these various benefits that you were sort of alluding to and we'll get into more. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I was teaching music. Uh, I started teaching like private music lessons when I was, I think, 16 or 17 and then taught all through university and I was playing professionally, but also always kind of teaching on the side. And then after I graduated, I always wanted to live somewhere, I mean, you know, I just always saw this big world out there and I thought, oh, I want to go live abroad somewhere. And um, I started, people started telling me about Thailand and how there's all this awesome fruit and it's, you know, not not too expensive to live out there and lots of opportunities to go and teach English. So I said, oh, you know, I've, I've got my bachelor's degree. So I did a, I did like a certificate to get my ESL qualification so that I could go over and teach English in a high school, which is what I did for a couple of years. And um, I moved into doing online teaching. Actually, back that was in like 2017, I started doing that teaching ESL online virtually, which of course now many more educators are familiar with what that's like, but I was kind of, uh, you know, it was before we really needed the virtual learning that I was, I was into it. Um, and when, 
2020, things really moved online. That was, I mean, I, I had been doing simultaneously doing YouTube videos and, you know, creating content about plant-based eating and veganism and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, you know, doing, getting into triathlon and in 2020, I really, you know, I start. I had started doing speaking engagements in 2019 and in 2020, uh, because of all the virtual, um, learning that was happening, I saw an opportunity to do virtual events that centered around plant-based eating. And then since that, um, you know, that sort of snowballed and now I'm doing lots of work, you know, going into schools and giving talks and, um, yeah, really trying to, uh, get the word out about all these various benefits uh, with plant-based eating. And so that's what I'm focused on now. Uh, everything else, I mean, I'm basically doing the triathlon and speaking about this to, you know, audiences that uh, are typically I'm speaking to high school students. That's sort of where I've decided to focus is those high school students who are kind of getting ready to go out into the world and, you know, they're going to be responsible for making their own dietary choices, or at least to a greater extent, most of them, you know, if they're, if they're moving out or, um, you know, going, going into the workplace. And, uh, so I, I think that it's, you know, that's sort of my target audience right now, um, in terms of who I speak to, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's still, you know, I, when I, when I, I'm sort of check, constantly checking in with myself, just trying to make sure that I'm putting my talents to the best possible use um, in terms of getting the message out there, because, you know, there's a lot of problems in the world and, uh, not all of them, but certainly a lot of them do surprisingly for many people come back to what we eat. So, um, yeah, that's really what I'm, I'm all about now, man. You lived quite a life. Uh, there's, there's a lot there to unpack. Um, and we, hopefully we are... I got more left <laughs> I'm, I'm, with the way you're <laughs> so living. Far, I'd so say good, you, so, you may outlive so all of us. <laughs> um, we we'll are going to. We're going to make sure that we spend a decent amount of time talking not just about the uh, the nutritional aspects of a plant-based diet, but some of those other uh, maybe far-reaching effects um, that perhaps people haven't considered when it comes to their, their food choices. First, we're going to start with the, the competition stuff. Uh, I'm a lifelong athlete like yourself and, and actually share uh, quite a lot of your background because uh, those of us who grew up here in, in uh, Canada don't, don't at first get to choose our sport. We, we are born into hockey. We, we must play hockey. Um, as you say, I had skates on my, on my feet just about the same time that I was learning to walk. And probably around the same time as you found out that I'm, I'm not as good at hockey as I may be at, at other things. So quickly got off the ice and, and uh, off the pond and strapped on some basketball shoes and, and the rest is history when it comes to that side of things. Cool. Um, but you got to the, the, the plant-based eating and you jumped into the racing uh, much, much quicker than I did. These are things that I've taken to in the last couple of years uh, and wish that, that I'd had somebody like Mr. Jason Fonger come to my high school and start talking about these things quite a bit earlier um, because our, our, our culture doesn't necessarily point, um, point us towards them as directly as it points towards perhaps other destinations, both in terms of, sport, in terms of sports and in terms of what we eat. Um, let's start with the real basics. Round, I think you said it was around 2009, you made the change to plant-based eating. You were doing music at, at Humber College. And how, around, how close to that had you started doing triathlons and racing? Uh, so it was after that. Okay. It was really, I mean, I did a little bit of running, you know, cross training for hockey and in school. Like I, I never ran on cross country team. I remember one, uh, it was actually the grade, when I was in grade five, the Terry Fox run. I, I don't know. I just got really into it and I just kept running. Like I ran, I think I ran like 5k and it was, uh, 
you know, it was, it was more than most people had ran. I just kind of felt good. So I kept running and I remember they gave me like a special shout out over the announcements. And so that kind of got me hyped up, but uh, no, I never, I didn't really do much running or cycling. I mean, other than I did have like a BMX bike as a kid, you know, kind of just around the neighborhood. And I, I knew how to, I did enough swim lessons to know how to keep myself afloat in the water, but had never done any swimming, like actually learning how to properly, you know, swim freestyle or the different strokes, none of that. Um, so that was all after. So it was, it was, I adopted, uh, you know, this plant-based diet and it was kind of in the months following that, that I started to feel like, oh, you know, I've got some more energy. And, um, and that was, yeah, that was when I started to get into the, uh, triathlon stuff. I just, first it was just going out for jogs and then I started doing some cycling, got myself a road bike. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it was after that, that I kind of got inspired to do some swimming and get in the water and then said, Oh, well, let's put them all together and yeah, try it. So it was my, my first triathlon was 2013. Um, and it was 20, 2009 that I adopted the plant-based diet. So really it was like, yeah, four years or so until I actually did a, a race. It sounds like a, a pretty organic process, just sort of gradually coming into alignment, taking a lot of stuff that you had mm -hmm. done more recreationally as a kid and finding more recognition, finding uh, more purpose in it, and then uh, kind of adding good pieces or healthy pieces to your life over time that sort of all fit together. Um, so 2013, yeah. we've got our first triathlon. For the people at home who aren't familiar with what a triathlon is and especially what it feels like from the the athlete's point of view can you just give us a basic description of, of that what, what somebody is looking at as they go into a triathlon so it's swim bike and run usually in that order but not always sometimes they do switch it up these days but um yeah usually it's a swim a bike and a run and it's one race. So your transition times count. It's not like you do the swim and then you stop the clock. Like you have to, you know, get on your bike as quick as possible. Um, and there are a wide variety of distances, everything from, there was a race that my, the triathlon club I train with, um, C3 Canadian Tri cross training club, um, which is actually coached by Barry Shepley, who Turns out that I was living across the street from the coach of Simon Whitfield, who won the first ever gold medal in the Olympics for I Canada. In I the remember watching in that race. So, That's incredible. Yeah, many people do. So yeah, the stars kind of aligned for me, I guess, to get into triathlon because you know here I was in, in Caledon, and uh, yeah, got, he he lives like right across the street from uh, my parents, and so I had this really easy access to to getting into that. Um, but yeah, so the, so there are all these different distances and, and the club this year, they put on the Kids of Steel Triathlon, which is, you know, everything from the tiny little four-year-olds, they can do their, you know, 25 meters in a pool with a life jacket and then get out and do um, whatever, a few hundred meters on the bike and then a hundred meters on the run. Like there are super short triathlons all the way up to ultra distance where you're doing, you know, 10K swims and, you know, 300 K on the bike and then double marathon at the end for the Ultraman. But yeah, somewhere in between is, is what I like to focus on. Uh, I started out doing the sprints, which is a 750 meter swim, a 20 K bike, and then a five K run. That's a nice distance. I like that. Um, and then there's the Olympic distance, which is the 1500 meter swim, 40 K bike and 10 K run. And then the half Ironman distance, which is my favorite distance and the one I'm currently focusing on. My goal is to go under four hours for this, the half Ironman. 
Um, and that is a 1.9 K swim, a 90 K bike, and then a half marathon. So 21.1. And then the full Ironman is double that. So 3.8 K swim, 180 K bike, and then a marathon 42.2 kilometer run. So those are all, those are like the standard distances, like the, the ones that people, uh, you know, you can choose whether you want a, a one hour, a two hour, you know, four or five, 10 hour. Uh, yeah, there's all different, uh, distances. And I think, you know, it's, it's really interesting to actually experience it because until you've done, you know, an all out swim and then an all out bike and then got off your bike to run, you don't really know what it feels like. Right. Mm -hmm. So you got to really train those transitions because yeah, getting out of the water, you're going from being horizontal and then you got to stand up and run. And so, you know, there's things you, that you do to kind of prepare for that and whether that's kicking harder towards the end of the swim to get your blood in your legs. And then same thing at the end of the bike, you want to kind of spin the legs out to get ready to run. Um, so it's this whole, yeah, it's, it's fun. I really enjoy the challenge of putting it together on race day, but then of course the training needs to prepare you for that. So for me, it's a fun challenge and it, and it really keeps, it keeps training interesting. Like I'm always doing different sports. I usually I'll train two or three times a day. So I'm doing, you know, two or three of the sports every day. And, um, yeah, I just really enjoy that, um, that variety. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've struggled with some injuries here and there, luckily nothing too serious, but it's always nice to have those other sports. Like if I have something going on with my shoulder and I need to back off the swim, I know I've got the bike and the run or vice versa. If there's something going on with my foot that maybe I can't run, but I can bike and uh, swim. I like that variety. So, um, yeah, that's triathlon in a nutshell. You get a lot of characters, you get a lot of determined people looking for challenges. Um, so yeah, it's a fun community to be a part of as well. And, uh, yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. Man, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm both inspired and exhausted listening to the enumeration of some of those <laughs> those distances. That, that Ironman just sounds, I mean, the, even just the distances, if you were able to just swim and then maybe take some time and like mentally transition into a bike ride and then do it, that would still be an extraordinary feat. But as you say, not having any rest and being able to go directly from one very specific, very technical um and, and exhausting movement immediately into something that's just as technical and just as exhausting, but completely different is really quite something. Um, I had some hint of, of appreciation for what you're going through out there reading, uh, Haruki Murakami's what I talk about when I talk about running and he talks about his, first, Oh yeah. You heard of that? Great book. Highly recommend it to anyone. I've read that book. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an awesome book. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's, he's a heck of an individual and, and I encourage anyone not just to, to read his stuff on running, but his, his fiction is, is wonderful. Um, he talks about his first triathlon. Oh, I I'll check. Sorry. Cool. Yeah. I remember that. Uh, cause yeah, cause I was going to say he does triathlons too, right? It's not just yeah. the running. So yeah. yeah. Um, he was a marathon runner for quite a while. And then there is something about the, the community of people that, um, take this up as a, as a lifestyle and as a full-time pursuit, um, because the, the challenge I think is, is what drives them having something in their life that, that really pushes them to an absolute limit. And then you see, as is the case with Murakami, he ran, I think he ran about two marathons a year for something like 20 years and at a certain point decided that he needed a new challenge, right? That drive doesn't necessarily ever get satisfied. And, mm -hmm. and that's kind of a wonderful thing. But his first triathlon, he hopped in the water, and I think he was about 100 meters out before he got kicked right in the face by a, by a swimmer, which is just another one of the elements that um, I think those of us who train a bit more casually don't really ever think about. Like when you're out there, it's not just the transitions and the technique and the endurance and, and everything you're thinking about, even when it comes to fueling up mid-race, but you're also racing against 
hundreds of other really impressive, talented, committed, determined people who uh, want to win. Sure. Right? And that's I, I, for sure. I guess all of which is to say I have an enormous amount of respect for for what you do, and it's it's really cool to that you share uh, this not just something that you do for yourself, but something that you do for others as well. Um, Absolutely. Speaking of which, if I was a sixteen-year-old uh, and I was maybe someone who had just decided that hockey wasn't for them or, or soccer wasn't for them. And I'm looking for something new. And I see this really cool guy, Jason Fonger. He came to Braemar. He told us all about this, this lifestyle. And I want to get started with, with racing. Any advice for, for a young person just getting started into that world? Well, I would say that the, like you mentioned before, pe people who tend to do this sport, I mean, they're looking for a challenge. Um, for me, I always love, I, I struggle if I don't have kind of something on the calendar that I'm preparing for, because it really, it, it helps me have purpose and, and direction in my training. If I know I have a race coming up, I want to know what are the demands of that race? Um, you know, is it going to be the kind of swim where I'm going to have people kicking me in the face or, you know, is it, is it like a pool swim where I don't really need to worry about that? Cause there are different kinds of races out there. Um, but just in general, like, Having that goal, and whether it's triathlon or whatever, like being involved in in a sport, um, you know, it's it, it for for me. I I really love that it, it kind of anchors me. Like I have my training for the week, and I I know that if I've got group sessions, like those need to be at that time. I have that commitment. Like I've got people who are depending on me. Like we feed off each other's. Like you know, you, Jan Fordino, who's kind of the greatest of all time triathletes, although Christian Blumenfeld might be taking that title from him uh, in the near future. But Jan Ferdino, uh, he always says shared pain is half the pain. So, you know, having those sessions throughout the week that you're sharing with other people, you're showing up together, um, you know, that's it. It builds it builds confidence and it builds a sense of, you know, belonging to a community and having other people in your life that, you know, if something's going on, like they're there for you um, or maybe you're having a bad day. And, you know, you show up at the pool and, you know, you feel like garbage, but you get in and you get in, you get, you get in the, uh, you get that like positive energy from the other people and it has a positive effect on you. So whether it's, you know, joining a swim group is a great thing. Like if you, if you did want to do triathlon, the sooner you can get with a swim group and in a, with a swim coach, the better. That's the most important thing because the technical like aspect of swimming is really not something that if you want to be a good swimmer, you, you have to have a coach at some point. Mm -hmm. You need somebody to look at you in the water to give you that feedback and give you that guidance. Maybe there's one in a million people out there who can just jump in the water and swim, you know, perfect freestyle without any guidance. But for the most part, yeah, if, if, if this sport um, calls to you, then I'd say that's like priority number one is like, yeah, kind of learning how to swim properly if you don't already know how to do that. But then just having fun. I mean, you know, running just easy getting out there a lot of people run you know they're running too hard uh too soon and they get injured and so taking that conservative approach to running and and again if you can get with a group like if you have a cross-country you know running group at your school or you know track or you know any any of that stuff i think it's it's really good if you have a coach who can kind of you know guide you in terms of how much volume you know is, is appropriate or intensity is appropriate because it's hard to know so yeah reach, finding that tribe um in as many of the sports as possible if you're looking at triathlon or if you're looking at other sports you know find that find the tribe for those sports i mean it's 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 really so um 
yeah, it's, it's triathlon can be a lonely sport for a lot of people. Like I do a lot of training alone because, you know, we have specific needs. I mean, swim, bike and run. I'm not necessarily at the same level with, you know, other people or they don't need the same training or here in Canada, I'm just biking on my trainer inside because, you know, it's the winter time. So I'm not doing as many group rides, but really sport is best when, yeah, when you're sharing that experience with other people. So that's the main thing. If you're, I'd say if, if you're a young person who's looking to get into a sport and, and with, I would say like sport should be fun. There's one thing I would say is like a lot of people have this relationship with exercise where the purpose of the exercise is for weight loss or for health or for these other benefits that do come along with exercise. But I don't see any reason that we can't be enjoying it. So I think that should be a goal is to like find something. Everybody should have some kind of physical activity, even if it's just hiking, like just like doesn't have to be anything intense, but some kind of physical activity that you find enjoying. I mean, I, I encourage young people to explore, try different, like the more sports you can try when you're young and sort of find what, if there's something that really inspires you to get good at that sport, that for me is like, that's, that's the, that's the ideal. And maybe it changes throughout your life. Like you, you gave the example of the guy doing two marathons a year and then he takes up a triathlon. So that's cool too. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, but uh, just being involved in a sport or in a, some kind of physical activity, um, so many, so many benefits, um, to just having something like that in your life. I mean, for, speaking from my own experience, definitely, but, um, you know, there's plenty of other people who I think will tell you the same thing, right? Just those inherent benefits of finding some, some kind of sport, um, to kind of, yeah, keep you, um, keep you ticking along with a group of people who also enjoy doing that. Yeah. It's a, it's a great answer for, for someone like me, especially who spends a lot of time thinking about, um, general wellness and especially teen wellness and teen mental health. It's crazy how many of the boxes are checked, how many of the wellness boxes are checked by really any exercise, but especially as you yeah. mentioned, exercise that encourages community. Um, you said the word tribe. I love it. Um, it reminds me of, uh, Sebastian Younger's wonderful book, Tribe, uh, about being kind of what it's like to be a soldier coming back from the wars and really finding it difficult to adjust to uh, a Western society that doesn't put as much emphasis on community and finding a place of belonging in a group as we could. And th this is something I've come to appreciate really, really strongly in my personal life because I always had that community through sport. And only in sort of my mm -hmm. post-serious athlete life have I noticed the deficit of that constant confidence, affirmation, accountability, esteem. It, it all comes to you when you're in uh, good faith competition or good faith challenge and pursuit with, with a like-minded group of people. Um, I, I, I think we would do quite a lot for ourselves and, and save ourselves a whole bunch of uh, money, especially in the health industry, uh, if we could find a way to get... Um, especially sports like triathlon, uh, into the lives of teenagers more uniformly. Um, and I think that starts with understanding. Yeah, and if, Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say for like, for, for triathlon specifically, like if there's anybody in the, the GTA, I really would recommend the C3 group that I train with. I know it's a little bit outside of the city, but you know, I think they, they've usually got, you know, high performance kids coming from all over the province. So they are a great group and there are quite a few, you know, triathlon groups or, um, you know, whether, as I said, even if it's just a swim group, there, are, there are tons of them. And so it's just about, about looking. And I think what you said there, I think is really true. Like I didn't, I don't think I realized how much I was getting playing hockey on a team 
And then when I stopped playing hockey and just, I didn't really realize all of the benefits I was getting, you know, I started to, you know, I was not feeling as good. I wasn't as happy with how my body was looking. And yeah, there were all these things that kind of, yeah, led me to, um, I think just intuitive, like it was just an intuitive, it's an intuitive thing to move, right. To move our bodies. And if we're healthy and we're fueling ourselves properly, um, you know, it's something that we just desire. Like if, if I don't, if I don't train for a few days, I start to, I start to just, I don't feel myself even now, like I I'm swimming most mornings, like most mornings I get up, I go to the pool. And if I don't, like if I have another morning where I'm, you know, I'm scheduled to just kind of get up and go to work right away, I'm just, my brain's not quite as awake. Like there are, there are just so many things we don't even realize when it's built into our routine. Um, but yeah, if it's, if it's, if sport and physical activity isn't something already built into, um, one's routine, then yeah, I guess it can be hard to imagine just how profound those effects can be, but they, uh, they certainly are quite profound, I think. Yeah. The, the, the paradox of knowledge uh, comes into play here. I think like you just can't know what you don't know. And we are always going to seem like, like, you know, your perspective will always seem to be a full perspective until you experience something radically different, either as both of us did going from a lifetime of team sports to all of a sudden not having the automatic benefits of the schedule the teammates and, and camaraderie, uh, the daily effort, right? The, the, the keeping oneself physically healthy. Um, it makes a world of yep. difference. And, and for those of you out there who are considering a, a, a life of physical fitness or making a physical fitness change, I'm, I'm sure there's enough people out there who said this to you already, but the changes that are going to come into your life go beyond the, the six pack and, and feeling a little bit better, you know, uh, around, um, uh, let's say members of the opposite sex, it's, it's your emotions, it's your behavior, it's your psychology, it's your environment, it's your relationship with your family, it's your sleep, it's your eating, like the, the, it's a whole life change that comes about as, as, as Jason says, we are born to move, right? We are, our brains are, are at their best when they're responding to our physical activity. Um, and whatever it is, you said hiking, it could be yoga, it could be going for daily walks, um, swim, bike, yeah. run, lifting some weights, you know, whatever sport makes you happy and, and is fun for you. And you have a few mm-hmm. friends who play it skateboarding, right? Any of this, it's, it's all golden, right? And yeah. it's all life-changing. Um, one of the aspects that, that you are, uh, probably best, uh, suited to tell us more about are the nutritional, um, implications uh, of doing something like a triathlon or, or being a, a real serious athlete chasing, um, performance at a very high level. Uh, what was your, your diet like going all the way back to, to pre 2009, growing up as a hockey player, uh, young Canadian guy, uh, do you remember thinking much about what you were eating when, when you're at home with with the family and, and do you remember much about how it made you feel? And then when did that sort of transition start taking place? I, I do, I do remember. I mean, I, I definitely remember, uh, kind of what the diet was like as I was growing up. I mean, fairly standard stuff. I mean, at least I, from what I can tell, I mean, you know, I mean, I had some fruits and vegetables here and there, but they were not the center of my diet the way that they are today. Um, you know, breakfast was usually eggs and some kind of bacon or sausage and some bread, uh, you know, throughout the day, maybe some, uh, well, lots of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, which I still enjoy to this day. Um, and you know, things like that, which I now enjoy the plant-based versions of, you know, craft dinner, uh, pizza, burgers, fries, all that kind of fast food stuff. But then also there's, you know, 
that definite emphasis on protein and you know steak in particular that was like the dinner like oh it's hockey night we got a game got to have our steak Mm -hmm. like and now it's like it doesn't really work that way like steak is probably not the best pre-game meal uh there's probably you know something better you could you could have there because i mean yeah there's just that this emphasis on protein and and i remember like a few times i would kind of go on like a health kick and I do like the whey protein powders and I try to be trying to lose weight or something like that just before going on the plant-based diet but just it was always protein 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 and um yeah it's 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 funny because there's there is this kind of obsession with with protein but when you look at athletic performance yeah we do need protein to recover for sure that's that's important um I mean there's a whole host of reasons that we need to consume protein for sure I'm not saying that there isn't but if we were to focus in on uh, a macronutrient that is really going to make the biggest difference in athletic performance then i think that it'd be hard to argue against um that being carbohydrates which are really the the main fuel source for our bodies our preferred fuel source we're using fats as well and, and protein too but it's it's that it's those carbs that you really have to keep an eye on and especially in endurance events um you have to take in a certain amount of carb like for a for a four hour if you're trying to do a four hour you know half iron man uh you know I, I need to make sure that i'm taking in somewhere around 100 grams of carbs per hour and um that's that's just during the event i mean i need to be well fueled before that event and then also after the event i need to make sure that i'm replenishing because even if i'm cons- like consuming the most calories I can possibly consume while doing that, you know, fairly intense exercise, which means you can't eat what you would normally eat, right? You've got your, your blood is in other areas of your body. So your digestion is kind of weaker if you're consuming things while doing the exercise. So, you know, trying to get in those hundred grams of carbs per hour, but you're still running a deficit. Um, and so that's, yeah, I mean, like growing up, it was, I think, I mean, I was looking around, look, I'd look around at what my friends were eating and it was, you know, same thing. We'd go to subway and, you know, uh, you know, Mr. Sub and I'm trying to think what pizza, pizza. And now of course, you know, I go to these same restaurants, but they have all these plant-based options or at least many of them do, right. You go to uh, like Subway is pretty good and get some good, they've got veggie patties in a lot of the places now in terms of like, you know, if you want a burger or even pizza now they've got lots of vegan cheeses. So it's pretty, it's pretty easy, but um, still to center my diet, I don't center my diet around those fast foods. Now it's more around those whole foods. And I think growing up, um, yeah, you know, we we had some of those, but now I think I've really learned to, uh, yeah, inc- incorporate more like a wider diversity of plant foods, and it's and it's um, really I think it's uh, it's it's been really surprising how much I enjoy food now. Um, like before growing up, I really did eat. I had kind of like a few foods that I would eat again and again. Um, and now it is still the same way now. I mean, I have my routines, I have my daily foods, but there are so many foods that I've discovered since going plant-based that I didn't even really know about before because it forced me to try to find new foods. And so now I enjoy so many different kinds of, you know, foods I never knew existed before. Um, like just, I mean, for example, like, like, I mean, I lived in Thailand for a few years. So just finding out about Thai cuisine was like that in and of itself is incredible. And you know, all the Indian food, there's tons of vegan options and even just like fruits and vegetables on their own. I mean, durian is a fruit that most people, I mean, in Canada here, many people may not even know about, but you know, durian is the king of fruits. And so, you know, finding out about that and 
you know, all these jackfruit and um, all the tropical fruits that I got to learn about living in the warmer areas. Turns out we can still get them here. A lot of them in like pretty good quality. We get them imported here to Canada, even though it's, you know, we're in two feet of snow outside in the middle of winter. But that's, uh, yeah, one of the, the good things about being alive today is we have access to all these foods. And so um, growing up, more a lot of the same foods, quite limited variety. And then after going plant-based, I so many more foods. And I feel like I, um, I feel like I genuinely enjoy food a lot more because of those yeah, those like I know that I'm having a positive effect not only on myself, but I think on the planet and on society in, in many ways by choosing these plant based foods and then knowing that I can eat in abundance. Uh, that's another thing about, I mean, talking about connections between food and nutrition and, and sports. One thing that I see a lot of, and it makes me, um, I guess it, it really makes me feel sorry for people that so much of the narrative around food and exercise is like this, this direction to move more and eat less. Like the amount of people who that's their paradigm is like, Oh, I just need to go to the gym and keep picking the crap out of myself while I'm at the gym, burning all the calories. And then when I sit down to eat just to have these tiny little portions so that I'm, you know, eating more, uh, eating less, moving more that I really, um, I just, I just don't believe that's a, that's a healthy way to think about food. I think that, we are designed, we're designed to move, right? We're designed to be out there moving our bodies and our bodies are incredibly intelligent in terms of being able to um, give us those hunger cues that allow us to eat an appropriate amount provided we're eating the foods we're designed to eat. And that's the key thing is like, if we're eating these, you know, fast food and oily, highly processed, like, you know, heavy in animal products, those kinds of foods, those foods is really easy to, to overeat and to get out of balance. But if you're focusing on those whole foods, right. And it's not to say you have to be super strict, you know, and I'm not saying like, I don't, I'm not telling anybody they have to go vegan or they have to eat a whole totally whole food. You can never have pizza or ice cream ever again. Like I still have those foods, but I base my diet off of the whole plant foods and I eat as much as I want. I eat, I eat as much. And in fact, for me, because I'm doing such a extreme, you could say endurance sport, like I actually struggle to eat enough. It is like something that I have, I have to plan my meals throughout the day. And even, uh, you know, the past couple of weeks, my training has been pretty heavy. So like, I've been noticing that like, I'm getting a little too lean sometimes. It's okay. I really got to go have a big meal to like make up. So I just think that the, um, yeah, the relationship between food, when you have that sport or physical activity in your life, it really helps balance things out. And people go from doing nothing and having issues with their bodies, you know, maybe gaining too much weight, doing no physical exercise, and they try to swing the pendulum so quickly in that other direction. Where it's like, okay, I'm going to limit my food and I'm going to do all this exercise. And then we wonder why so many people kind of aren't able to stick to those kinds of plans. So I think that I, I'm grateful to have that kind of holistic approach where, um, cause I've done, I've done, I'm speaking from experience. Like I've done these kinds of programs before where they, you know, they tell you to do all these workouts and you know, you just gotta don't eat any carbs or whatever. And to me, it's, it's not a, uh, it's not a holistic solution to, um, yeah, some of the problems that people are trying to solve with that. So, um, yeah, big difference there between my previous mentality on food. And I, and I would, I would, yeah, I would blame myself 
I remember in, in high school when I wasn't doing any sport and I would look at myself in the mirror and just not be happy with kind of the amount of belly that I was having at the, at the moment. And I would kind of blame myself for, Oh, you know, why aren't you, why are you eating so much and why aren't you moving more? And I just think that's not, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of sad because a lot of people get, get caught in that trap. And then you see, you know, people run into problems with disordered eating and, um, yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. I think that we shouldn't be afraid to fuel ourselves to do the movement. I think that's the, that's the mentality that I have now is like, I'm trying to eat as much as I can. So I'm topped up so that I can show up and perform in my sport, whatever, whatever the sport may be for other people, but you want to be able to show up to perform. And then the fueling is to support that. It's not like you need to earn the food from working out, but rather um, yeah, it's a positive relationship, not like a, not like a, uh, a give and take, um, yeah. restrictive, uh, mentality. So, one of the, yeah. one of the things when we talk about, uh, goal setting, especially with our student leaders, um, we talk a lot about motivation theory and what it actually feels like and means to be motivated towards something. It's amazing how many responses I get from students and, and how many, uh, maybe I guess popular cultural, uh, messages and implications seem to be saying the way to perfection, the way to success, the way to your goal is you need to restrict all of the bad things in your life, right? You need to, how do you stop smoking? Well, stop, right? Stop, stop putting the, the cigarette in your mouth, right? How do you get athletic? Well, I need to get all of the fat off of my body, right? And how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to stop eating everything that isn't protein, <laughs> you know, every, everything that isn't my, yeah. my protein shaker or whatever my, my, uh, my favorite YouTuber told me is their, their go-to, uh, training snack. I try to tell students who think of progress as being a process of restriction, uh, a line I got from somebody really smart who I forget now, uh, do not run away from what you fear, rather run towards what you love. Right, that the process of progress, as I think you've laid out very, very nicely and with, with some good examples from your own life, uh, can be a joyful one and is probably more likely to be successful when it's a joyful one. Right? There's, there's, there's a route yeah. to vegetarianism and veganism out of Western culture that it looks from the outside very painful. Right? It looks like all you're doing is taking all of your favorite foods and denying them, denying yourself the pleasure of them. There's another view that I think I get when I look at a lifestyle like your own, where you say, no, this is, this is a fun exploration. That's giving me, uh, more appreciation yeah. for the foods that I eat, a, a, a more diverse skill set, the ability to cook different foods and, and keep things interesting for myself, uh, an entry point when I travel to, to new lands, right? Like what better way to, uh, embrace a plant-based lifestyle than go to the, the homeland of plant-based eating, right? Southeast Asia. Right, these people have been have yeah. been perfecting the deliciousness of plant-based dishes since before uh, we were making our, our meat and potatoes here in here in southern Ontario. Yeah, so it's super cool that that you 100%. went went to Thailand and you were able to embrace that culture. I mean, it's also really cool that we get to live here in Toronto and I don't have to just yeah. uh, hear you talk about Thai food, but I can actually experience some pretty great authentic Thai. Uh, in my own neighborhood here, not to mention, you know, great uh, South Indian food and Vietnamese food and all the other stuff that we're lucky to enjoy here in this very multicultural city. Um, you've touched yeah. on quite a few myths, 
quite a few of the, 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 the myths that sort of permeate eating culture in the West, um, especially around, as you said, the need for animal protein if you're going to be an athlete and the sort of the idea that a meal is not complete if it is not both inclusive of and focused on the meat portion, right? Often when we order from restaurants, you, you literally only see the meat option. That'll be what the dish's name is. It'll be what you're getting the steak. And you all, sometimes you order without even really knowing what the, the little incidental veggie that's going to be on the side is. Um, yeah. A guy who's really, really helped to change my thinking about that particular myth, and I'm hoping to expand on a few of them, uh, Michael Pollan, who I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're yeah. familiar with. Um, the two books I think he's probably most well-known for in the world of eating are In Defense of Food and The Omnivore's Dilemma. But the one bit of advice that he gives that I, I hope uh, to share with as many people as possible in my life, because it's so easy to, to conceptualize, he will talk about his advice for eating any given meal. And it's a three-part advice. Very simple. He says, when you're making your meal, make sure that you are eating food, not too much, mostly plants. Right? And, and it's his belief, and he spends thousands of pages and has spent the better part of his career uh, providing a solid evidence-based foundation for that principle, that very simple principle eat food, and by that he means whole food, not processed, packaged, um, nutritionally deficient food. Eat food that your grandmother would recognize. Not too much, okay? We don't need to eat past being full. We don't need to have these huge dishes, which are so common in, in the West. Um, and the majority of that plate, whatever size it is, should be covered in plants, and that's vegetables and fruits. The um, Canadian uh, Ministry of Health's uh, food guidelines, which were newly released in uh, January of 2019, basically display the same thing. They give a model plate, um, and they say that at least half that plate should have fruit and vegetable on it. A quarter of the plate should be uh, whole grain um, products, and another quarter should be, uh, they say, protein and protein alternatives. And what was really nice to see in 2019 is that I think there was only a single small piece of meat on their example plate, and it was surrounded by a lot of foods that I didn't grow up knowing were healthy, sufficient protein alternatives. Chickpeas, beans, lentils, nuts, um, dairy protein. I know you're a vegan, so you're not eating a, a lot of dairy, but um, maybe a, a more ethical way to, to get animal protein if you really need it. And all of this information seems to be proliferating, at least in my life and as an athlete, I have been paying attention to these things for some time, really only in the last five to 10 years. Like It feels like you really are at the... The tip of the spear when it comes to raising awareness and and defeating some of these myths what's that what's that process been like what are the the myths that you've come up against that are the most resilient and maybe the most difficult to break down uh where are you meeting resistance with your messaging and and maybe uh alternatively what what where are you seeing the most successes where are you seeing eyes light up and, and people really um get on board with some of these ideas the Canada Food Guide update that you're refer that you referred to there the 20 that happened in 2019, I think that was very very helpful in moving uh, moving things in the right direction. That was actually uh, the World Health Organization has um, they, they have a way that they basically are able to score different food guides around the world. Uh, 
based on like they're basically asking how, how is this food guide based on evidence like is this an ev- are these evidence-based recommendations or not and so they are able to score food guides that way and it turns out the canada's food guide i think is the like one of if not the top ranked uh, food guides in the world now right. n- the updated one now the old one wasn't no, I but the thing is what they did with with this one was they um to my knowledge there wasn't really any or if there was it was very little sort of industry influence on the recommendations and they were really looking at what makes most sense to keep canadians healthy um and the recommendations, you know, to, to focus on, they have on the protein section, because within the plate, they've got kind of more detailed breakdown as to, you know, what kind of protein foods are best. And they do tell Canadians to choose protein foods that come from plants more often. That's right there in the food guide now. And so they're saying, hey, look, we're eating too many protein foods that are coming from animals. We really would be, you know, it'd be, it'd be a service to, uh, shift things in that direction of choosing more proteins from plants. So I think that's huge. They also removed dairy as a food. Like there are, there are some dairy products in the food guide, but it used to be like the drink was, was dairy, right? Like, you know, get your glass of milk every day. And that's, you know, there's plenty of people who are lactose intolerant. Uh, I think it's, it's some, uh, I don't want to say what percentage, because I I can't remember exactly, but there's a a large percentage of Canadians who they don't really tolerate dairy. Mm -hmm. So to have that as like a universal recommendation doesn't really make sense. Right. Um, So, yeah, I think that that has helped and it's helped. And it's also a reflection of where things are in terms of what the evidence shows um, when you look at human nutrition and what, you know, what foods have the best health outcomes. There really is this like, mountain of evidence that is conti- continues to pile up uh almost every week i'm reading some new study that's been done just showing all the all the benefits of eating um you know doesn't necessarily have to be a 100 vegan diet but that at least a predominantly plant-based diet where you're eating 90 95 plants and maybe including small amounts of, of animal protein probably not such a huge deal but if as long as you're in that ballpark of of focusing on plants um you know, that seems to be really, uh, there's much less resistance in the last few years than I felt before. I remember when I first went plant-based and it was like just really difficult because people just didn't get it. And it was, you know, I'd always have all these questions anytime I'd be ordering a vegan meal. And and in the beginning, I didn't, I didn't really have any of the answers. Now I'm much better sort of prepared for those. And I, and I love when people ask me questions because it, it just opens up that conversation. And, uh, and um, yeah, it's, it's something that now it, people really get it. Like more and more people are maybe they're, maybe they're not, you know, a vegan or a vegetarian, but so many people now are maybe considering themselves flexitarians or, you know, they're open to eating more of those plant-based foods. A lot of people understand the benefits. Um, and I think that the way we improve things is is not to, when I first went uh, on a plant-based diet and, and it was, it was actually at the beginning, it was a hundred percent raw vegan diet, wow. which was actually- You went uh, all the way there, right? That was not something, I, I would not recommend that though. I mean, that was me listening to somebody on YouTube who was, I think, well-intentioned, but uh, you know, the idea of excluding all cooked foods and just going on hundred percent raw, yeah, I definitely lost a lot of weight and it's, it's very hard. The calorie density is just so low with those foods that um, 
actually, if you if you wanted to focus on eating raw foods, you actually you really need to make sure you're full full every meal because there's so much water in the food mm-hmm. that just to get just to get enough calories is, is really quite a quite a, a task. But um, but anyways, in those early days, what I was going to say is that I was I was very intent on because I I had just learned all these things about food and how great you know plant based eating is and all these terrible things that happened to the animals. And I was intent on like every person I spoke to, I wanted to convert them to be a vegan. I just wanted to make them vegan. And <laughs> that was like my approach. And uh, it doesn't work very well. You know, when you start pushing people to do something and especially you start telling them that they need to, you know, give up all their favorite foods. I, I pretty quickly realized that that wasn't a very effective approach. Um, and I think that the way to do it, what I found a lot of success with now and what people seem to respond well to is just empowering them with information. And I really, I, you know, I, I don't have any personal connection to if they take that information and what they do with it, that's up to them. But I feel like just getting the information out there, getting it into people's hands, you know, they can let it marinate and, and hopefully they'll, you know, make some uh, decisions based on that information. And, and if not, then it's, that's up to them. But um, as far as resistance, cause yeah, there's a lot of people who are on board, um, to a certain extent. And as far as resistance, I think it really, um, you know, one area that there is a lot of resistance is, I mean, obviously here in Ontario, we have a lot of farming, we have a lot of agriculture, like animal agriculture. Um, we have, you know, families that have been doing whatever it is, whether it's cattle ranching or, you know, dairy farming or, um, you know, chickens or pigs, whatever, like they've, they've, a lot of people have this in their families and it's, it's, uh, it's tradition. Um, and it's, um, it's not, people don't like to just change what they're doing and, and people feel threatened when, you know, if information comes out and, and it has that red meat increases your risk for cancer. Um, and so if we start looking at dietary recommendations and, you know, the recommended amount of red meat is limited, or, you know, it's, it's said that, you know, we shouldn't be eating processed meats because they're even worse in terms of, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're in terms of raising risk for cancer. You know, there's, there's industries that aren't so happy to hear that. Um, and not just industries, but people in general, it's people's favorite foods. And so there's that kind of resistance to, uh, to this, but I just, you know, I see it this way, right? Like right now, I'm, I've been learning a lot about different, not only plant-based alternative proteins, but, you know, there's cellular agriculture, uh, precision fermentation, where they're basically able to brew um, using microbes. They can create, for example, dairy identical proteins wow. um, way more efficiently for like maybe 1% of what it costs to actually raise a cow and all of the things that are involved with that and getting milk from the cow. Uh, it's, it's infinite, like it's, it's just so much more efficient to use precision fermentation to do that, that, I mean, countries like New Zealand, for example, and here in Ontario, there's a lot of dairy farming. Um, there's like, there's major potential for disruption of these industries. And so I, I don't want it to be a conversation of, and this is where I feel like the resistance really mostly is right now is it's like people try to make it out to be, it's like vegans versus farmers. It's like people who are trying to get people eating more plants and eating healthier and people who care about farmers. And it's like, I, I really do care about farmers. I think we should be having a conversation about how can we be transitioning like some of the, if there's dairy farmers, for example, and we see that, you know, like 
I, I know a lot of farmers are struggling. I just saw something also about, like about eggs recently that, you know, um, there's egg shortages and I think it's over in the UK. I just read it this morning, but it's, it's because I guess the farmers are really struggling. They're losing a lot of money because having animals to produce these products in, in maybe five years from now, I just, I just don't think there's any way that they're going to be able to compete. And this is just my, my, it's my opinion. It's not only my opinion. There are many people who are also um, seeing that things are going this way. So I would like to, I always try to, when, there, when I sense there's resistance, I try to just bring the conversation to like, look, here's some of the new technologies that are coming around and some of the reasons why, um, you know, people who are make a living in the animal agriculture industry, um, a lot of these companies, they're, they're thinking about, they are diversifying. Like you look at companies that like Maple Leaf Foods or, you know, other companies that produce a lot of animal products, like Ben and Jerry's has, I think they've got like 20 different flavors of vegan ice cream now that Ben and Jerry's does. Wow. So there are all these examples like of the companies diversifying because they see what's happening. They see how consumer um, demands are changing, change like flavor, like, um, or sorry, um, uh, just their dietary preferences are changing. And there's also this technological side of things where it's just not going to be, I mean, right now, what, what, um, what I think is really holding back progress is, or one, one of the things really holding back progress is the, the, the amount of government subsidies that go towards animal agriculture. So there is a group called Nation Rising, which is, um, they're actually doing, they're, they're trying to get more, uh, they actually want to have a lobbyist in, uh, in Ottawa to be representing, you know, plant-based industries, because right now there are tons of lobbyists for meat and dairy and eggs, and, and there's nobody for basically plant-based right. food. So they're trying to change that because they, and they're looking into government subsidies in Canada. What do food subsidies actually look like? The last, um, the last one they put out which I know they're trying to do a more detailed version of this, but just looking at how food subsidies are, are spent in Canada, the last thing they put out showed that it was 89% of food subsidies in Canada go towards animal agriculture and only 11% of food subsidies actually go to plants for human consumption. Yet we have a food guide, which as you described, is basically saying we should be eating mostly plants. Yeah. So in what way does that make sense? But the reality is, is those industries need the subsidies to be profitable and to and to continue. So when we're thinking about our overall economy and all the amount of money that is going towards those industries and with the research that's coming out, the evidence that actually we should be focused on other foods anyways, there's just a lot that doesn't make sense. And yes, there's a lot of resistance to some of these ideas when it comes to changing the system, but I really think we need to you know, we need to get together and be able to have, um, yeah, evidence-based and kind of level-headed conversations about what makes sense moving forward. Because, um, yeah, there are a lot of people who are on board, but there are some people who have certain, uh, I guess, interests at, at the table, and understandably so. They are gen there is definitely some resistance. Um, but again, if we look at the data, we look at the evidence, have realistic conversations. Um, yeah, I think that there's uh, there's a real argument to be made for transitioning to more plant-based and other alternatives to using animals in the food system, for sure. Yeah, it's, you've covered a lot there, and it's really well said. Um, there are a ton of different on-ramps to a plant-based lifestyle, but I think one of the most convincing ones is what you were touching on there in kind of the second half. Um, the agricultural and environmental impacts of monocrop 
industrial farming, uh, which is what we're seeing both in animal agriculture and in, of course, the, the major plant crops, corn, soy, um, there's a few others. These, I mean, there's so, we, we could go down the rabbit hole here for, for quite a while. Um, there's so many unacceptable losses and damages done by this style of agriculture. And it's funny, we see the same problems kind of uh, in, in most arenas, an inability to transition out of the type of thinking that characterized the, the Industrial Revolution and the, the sort of early 20th century development boom. Like, sure, Fritz Haber invents uh, ammonia and we're able to massively um, expand uh, corn production. And this is rightly credited as the thing that allowed us to move from, I think, a population of about 1 billion at the turn of the, the 20th century to the population we have today. Now, of course, we have an overpopulation problem to deal with. But you can see why people are so allied to something that provided plenty to a world that had just gone through multiple famines and was about to encounter two world wars. Um, what we're doing now, though, is, is you know, it, it, it takes 20 minutes on YouTube to get really, really angry at this stuff. And then um, I want to point people in the direction of a couple books that have really helped me think about this, uh, Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foer and uh, The Pig Who Sang to the Moon by Jeff Masson um, on the emotional lives of animals. But you can watch uh, films like Food, Inc. Um, that, you know, there's a new one every single week that demonstrates in many, many different ways how this style of agriculture is very quickly destroying our health and the health of our planet. Like when you've got... Crops like corn being grown at this point almost primarily to feed cows and pigs, right? Not to feed people. Um, and then you've got those cows and pigs and, and, and chickens and, and whatever other um, animal agriculture you're practicing getting sick because the food we're feeding them isn't their natural diet. And so we're pumping them full of not just the growth hormones that make them, you know, macro-sized in, in our um, this world that loves size so much, but we're also pumping them full of the antibiotics that we are quickly running out of to heal them from the sickness that we've given them by force feeding them our food, right? Like that, that cycle by itself, and there's a whole bunch of other reasons to be mad at industrial agriculture, but that cycle by itself makes me furious. And the fact that, that people aren't more aware um, is, I think, uh, credit to the lobbyists who have spent their lives um, convincing governments not to publish this information, the ad gag laws uh, that prevent us from seeing what's going on on the ground in these in industrial agricultural centers, um, the, the crazy laws against um, anti-big agriculture activism, um, and just the, the daily general treatment of these animals there. I, I could go on and on. But um, I guess maybe one thing I'll leave people with, if you, if you don't have time to read the books and, and the, the visuals make you a little bit squeamish, check out the UCLA uh, Climate Lab. They're doing really, really wonderful stuff looking at the um, climate change implications of the type of agriculture we practice and the type of food consumption and, and consumer habits that we practice. Because I don't, I don't think most people are aware that something like 25 to 30 percent and certainly the largest percentage of all carbon emissions comes directly out of the agriculture industry right it comes out of soil erosion transportation um the methane released by by cow farts there's there's a whole bunch of different ways that that it contributes to climate change but in terms of existential crises i think unless you've had your head in the ground for the last five to ten years you know that climate change is the biggest one coming and we are 
actively making it worse on a daily basis through totally preventable consumer and eating practices. And so if all of that isn't enough to, to convince you to start looking more seriously at a, at a plant-based diet, um, you can look to people like Mr. Jason Fonger, who has been not just successful, but successful at a consistent and very, very high rate with your triathlons. I know you're not, you're a pretty humble guy. You're not going to tell us exactly um, how successful you've been, but if I've got the numbers right, you have won 13 triathlons for your age category and four overall. Just, just nod your head if, if that's true. <laughs> I think that's that's somewhere in the ballpark, yeah. And and this has been done entirely on, on a plant-based diet. So let let's leaving aside the the catastrophe, which is um, meat agriculture. Let's talk about the the performance stuff and how the nutrition plays a role. Uh, game changers was a real game changer, for, I think, for a lot of us. Um, obvious pun intended. Yeah. A couple of years ago, uh, this documentary came out, and I know that you've used this. Um, as some of the material in your own presentations. Can you just kind of walk us through what Game Changers kind of showed the world and, and how does that relate to the, the larger message um, that you're providing? Maybe you can kind of just talk us through uh, the type of presentation that you give to, to young people to get them excited about this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, um, I should say that like, I did that first triathlon just for fun, just for me. I realized I enjoyed it. I kept training. And then I actually didn't race another triathlon until 2017. So there were a few years where I was just kind of in Thailand training, enjoying it. And what made me actually want to go and like race more regularly was when, so I was living in Northern Thailand, Chiang Mai. And a lot of people don't know this, but Chiang Mai, Thailand actually is ranked as the, the city with the most polluted air on the planet wow. for many days of the year throughout kind of february march they have the smoky season and i was i was in chiang mai and i'm like what is going on here like why is this air so terrible and um because you know everybody there's complaining about it but it's like what what is this like where does this all come from and it turns out the main reason the main cause for the smoke is because there's so there's such there's extensive deforestation in northern thailand they basically slash down and, and burn the forests to make room for growing crops like corn which are then fed to animals that's the main reason for the smoky season is is this destruction and they harvest the corn and then they burn the rest of the corn you know the unused parts of the plants um and, and it's again not for not plants for human consumption but to feed the animals that people eat and the extent to which that happens throughout the world is is just uh yeah it's absolutely mind-blowing um there's our world and data is a great resource and they've got some statistics on there where, where they show they break down the amount of land that's used for animal agriculture um and it's it's something like i think it's 77 percent of all agricultural land is used for livestock so either either animal agriculture or you know the feed for those animals right like 77 percent of land wow um, and yet it, that we only get, I think it's, it's less than 20% of the global caloric food supply comes from, the, from those animal products. So it's just this gross mismanagement of land. And so that motivated me to say, okay, well, what's the reason we're eating all this stuff? Like for so many people, it's like, oh, well, we need protein to be, you know, healthy and fit and all this stuff. And so that really motivated me to get out there as an athlete to like try to do as good as I can in races and show people like, Oh, 
here's this guy wearing a vegan shirt up on the top of the podium, fastest guy on the day. Like that's like the best case for me, right? People see that and, and it's happened. Like I've been able to do it and, and have some conversations with people and I think have a positive impact. And I always say when I'm giving talks though, that like, really, I am not, I'm not like a, I'm not like a top professional athlete, but there are some of the top professional athletes in the world who are these, you know, plant-based, uh, absolute machines. And so that's really what the game changers shows is, um, you know, just the wide variety of athletes who are at the top of their sports. Like we're talking like Olympic gold medalists, um, for example, Canadian Megan Duhamel figure skater. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, you know, plant-based athlete. Um, but there's everything from, you know, figure skaters to endurance runners like Scott Jurek, who, you know, he's set world records and won all the biggest races on the planet. And, Patrick Baboumian, who's a vegan strongman from Germany, who's set world records. He actually set a world record in in 2013 in Toronto that inspired me. He set a new world record for the most weight ever carried. He picked up some ridiculous amount of weight, like same amount of weight as a as a grand piano or a horse. He, he picked it up and moved it across the stage. So the game changers is amazing because it it shows the stories of those athletes and importantly their motivations for eating this way, which do come down to uh for many of them it's just performance is definitely something that i mean i've noticed that like i don't think i have any particular you know crazy amount of athletic talent but i think i do have an advantage because of my diet because Mm -hmm. of the various benefits that plant-based eating has and and the game changers movie does a great job of like really breaking down what some of those benefits are um and then you also get, you know, there's other motivations for the athletes too. Many of them are motivated by ethics, animal rights, the environment, um, you know, so there's that as well. But yeah, just looking at the performance, because so many people just assume that if you're going to go on a vegan diet, well, you're sacrificing athletic performance. You're just not going to be as strong of an athlete without that animal protein, right? That's like that mentality that so many people have. Um, even though there's studies that have come out in the past few years that have looked specifically at that they've tried to control for all other factors and said okay we'll give you guys basically the diet minus animal products and you get the vegan versions and here we'll give these other guys the omnivorous diet they match the protein and everything tried to see if there's any difference and there's there's not and if anything mm-hmm. there have been some studies that show that you know the vegans actually they have uh, the higher view of two max and submaximal endurance um and so that those yeah it's it's just it's just really does a great job that movie um the game changers of systematically debunking a lot of these ideas that are out there um so yeah inspiring stories and and really well referenced like the all the all the references to the science that they are talking about in the movie they're right on the screen they even had uh the the u.s um military had uh they had like i think 200 of their top like phd you know nutritionists comb through the game changers movie and they ended up i think um James Wilkes, who was the producer for the Game Changers, I think they, he's actually on contract, um, or they wanted him to go on contract with the U.S. military to kind of consult for their the diets that they're feeding their soldiers. Because there's something here. There really is. Mm-hmm. Like when you look at all the diseases that are, you know, if you're eating tons and tons of meat, the risk for heart disease, even in athletes, they've said. Um, I was watching a, a video uh, by Dr. Greger from nutritionfacts.org, which is a, another great resource if people are looking for a place to you know, learn about the plant-based eating. Nutritionfacts.org is a great one. Dr. Michael Greger just recently did a video. Um, I think it's called Why All, Plant-Based, Why All Athletes Should Eat a Plant-Based Diet. 
And he's basically looking at a lot of endurance athletes end up with higher risk for heart disease because they're eating more of these foods that cause heart disease because they're doing so much physical activity. Right. But if you're eating more and more bacon and cheeseburgers and eggs, you might look fit on the outside, but on the inside, you know, clogging up those ar arteries with all the saturated fat and cholesterol. So for plant-based diets to be, you know, that protective, um, they, they have a protective effect in that way that if you're eating a more of a plant-based diet, you're reducing your risk for, you know, heart disease and other diseases as well. And I mean, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of like the prerequisite for athletic performance is just basic health, right? So, um, yeah, they do a great job of, of kind of, um, yeah, pulling together um, some of that, you know, general health information and, and how it affects athletic performance. And, uh, yeah, super entertaining um, documentary. And, and what I do with, um, with the film is I, I'll typically just show the trailer uh, when I'm giving a talk or something just to kind of because it's they've got a really good great trailer on uh, uh youtube there that's just maybe i think it's like a two minute thing but it's it's really great because you just see all the variety of the athletes and you know a few sound bites from them um and so yeah it's uh it's always kind of an eye-opener for a lot of the students who um yeah they have a lot of these these preconceived um ideas around needing animal protein so to see those really athletes just at the absolute highest level of sport doing it um, yeah, I think it's an important, um, yeah, it's an impactful experience to see that. It sure is. I, even for me, the, I, I remember bringing you in for the first time here when, when I was still teaching our, uh, grade 11 and grade 12, uh, healthy active living course. And you did exactly what you just described. You showed us the trailer from, um, game trade changers before moving into your presentation. At that point, I had thought I was pretty savvy with my my vegetarian lifestyle and still continuing with my athletics. And, and, you know, I was bringing you in to help kind of support a lot of the things that I was saying, but I really wasn't planning on learning anything new. My impression had been that, okay, maybe vegan plant-based works for endurance athletes, but it can't possibly work for the more explosive athletes, the more power-based sports. And then I saw the fella, the, the um, weightlifting champion from Patrick. Germany. Yeah, Patrick Baboumian. He's like the vegan Wolverine with his uh, facial hair there. He sure is, and he certainly not doesn't appear to be uh, uh, missing any of the muscles or any of the protein that he might have needed to do what he does because he's an impressive specimen. And then I dug in a little bit more, and, I mean, you start to see the the best tennis players in the world, the Djokovic, Kyrgios, the Williams sisters, all plant-based. Mm. Um yeah, I, I couldn't even go down the list of soccer players, but the the, the one just because I'm a big Tottenham Hotspur fan, uh, Alex Morgan, right, doing doing what she does. Um, and th these aren't sports where you're running in a straight line at a consistent rate. They're not steady state sports, right? These are sports that demand a lot of explosivity. Um, and just seeing yep. that 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 sports as a, a an, an entry point for people to think more clearly and more critically about their diet i think is a really really uh, sort of wonderful approach i think you've hit on something super important because as you said there's a lot of um, different points of resistance here and we could probably spend uh, several more podcasts talking about the various ways that people go about arguing and rationalizing their their meat-based lifestyles but if sport touches so much of our culture and, and it is especially important to youth. I mean, today at Braemar, today we've got uh, Brazil playing their first World Cup match today. And the number of students who showed up today asking me if they could skip their period to class and if we could throw the Brazil match up, they're wearing their jerseys, they got their flags, they got their face painted, like this is their religion. 
And now imagine showing that young Brazilian guy uh, a Neymar or a, I forget, I don't know, an Antony or a, a, another Pele type who's plant-based. And that could be the, the key that gets them living, um, maybe they don't even know it, but living a more ethical, a more environmentally friendly, a more sustainable, and it turns out uh, a more athletically beneficial uh, eating lifestyle. Um, Jason, I'll give you the, the last word, uh, but I, I just want to emphasize, like, I think your approach is um, one of the, the many things that we're seeing over the last 5, 10, 15 years that is pushing us towards a tipping point in this conversation culturally, and it's making it a lot easier to, to talk to friends and family, in my case, many of whom are farmers, uh, about this, this lifestyle and about the, the positive benefits for all, making it less antagonistic and more positive and, and more optimistic uh, all the way through. So thank you for what you do, and we're, we're really looking forward to having our kids engage with you further. Um, but for the folks listening at home who aren't lucky enough to, to see your full presentation, um, maybe a, a bit of advice or for some final wisdom for them before you go? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, coming back as well. And the, uh, yeah, as, as far as like just some closing words, I mean, I, I'd just say, um, yeah, you know, don't like, don't, don't feel like it has to be a hundred percent overnight. Some people, they, you know, they hear about this and, and they, they want to just, you know, clear out their kitchen of anything that's got animal products in it and go all the way overnight. And, and, you know, if that sounds like you power to you, some people do that. But if, if this is all, a lot of people are really intimidated by this information and, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be an intimidating thing. I think that, you know, for some people, if, if you want to just maybe try a plant-based meal once a week, like for some people meatless Monday, if, if every Monday you're trying a new plant-based meal and you're experimenting to see what you like, you know, maybe one week you have something, oh man, this is amazing. I, I could easily have this every week and then, okay, we'll make that Thursday and then keep experimenting with more meals on Monday. And then, you know, throughout as time goes on, uh, you know, just incorporating more of those plant-based meals. That's, it's, it's a really, it's a really easy thing. It's a lot easier than I think people, people, um, realize a lot of the time. So, um, yeah, so if that's you, you know, take it slow and just, um, keep adding things in and, and educating yourself. I think, one thing I would say is, as well is there's, you know, there's lots of people out there giving, you know, health information and, and a lot of it is good and some of it is questionable. So just always be looking for the evidence, always try to be evidence-based in your decision-making because um, there's no shortage of people out there who are trying to debunk plant-based eating and veganism. Uh, but there's a real shortage of people who are doing that with actual evidence. Mm -hmm. So yeah. always ask for that. You know, uh, there was a really good podcast. I mean, for people who I know lots of people like Joe Rogan, um, I'm not really, you know, I don't really listen to his podcast all the time, but I've definitely listened in when he's had some, some plant-based guests, uh, James Wilkes, the producer for the game changers movie, he was on there. Uh, and he had a debate with Chris Kresser, who was this other doctor who was on there, and he was trying to debunk the Game Changers. And basically, they went head-to-head -head on Rogan in this one episode. I, I don't know. It's pretty easy to find. Maybe if you have show notes, you can link it. But yeah, easy to it's, find. It's maybe. a great example. <laughs> Not so easy What's to listen that? to. I, I found perhaps more than any other podcast episode I've ever listened to. Yeah. That Boy, that one got into the weeds. Like, that one left my head spinning. It really does. But, you know, for, for the people out there, though, who really doubt 
who really have doubts and who really think that, yeah, no, the game changers is a bunch of, you know, don't believe any of that. If somebody believes that, I think it's worth watching that podcast because he, he Cresser, he tries to pick apart everything that's wrong with the game changers and James Wilkes, he, he just, he's got all, he's got like 300 slides and he's got all the evidence there. Um, but anyway, it's, it's just to say like, you know, when you're when you're when you're thinking about making changes to your lifestyle or, or to your diet, always be asking them for the evidence. You know, look look for those people who are saying something and then backing it up with evidence. And and you're learning to read scientific papers. I think is very it's very valuable to be able to say, okay, this person made a claim. Here's the reference. I'm going to look at the paper. Does the paper actually say what they say it says? Because you would be amazed how many times people will reference a paper. And the paper does not say at all what they are saying. So just, you know, be, be conscious. There's lots of people out there who are putting out great advice on TikTok and Instagram and all these social media platforms. But there's also a lot of people who are, um, I don't know what they're talking about, but they're they're not making evidence-based recommendations. So just be, be careful about that. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, it's uh, it's exciting times. There's there's so many options now. When you go to the grocery store, there's how many different kinds of plant-based milk. How many you know any kind of meat you want. There's a plant-based version of it. There's tons of sites all over the internet and cookbooks to to try to make. If you're looking for something super fancy, or if you're just looking like me, I just make really easy stuff. Um, there's plenty of resources out there these days to to um, you know make it easier to incorporate more plants. So. Um, yeah, the more you can tap into those and, and try new things, I think uh, hopefully people will be surprised at uh, just how much fun and how interesting it can be and how delicious it can be. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, inspiring and informational resources, uh, where can the people at home find you if they want to learn more about you? Talk, talk about a bit about, I know you've got a successful TikTok. I've, I've cruised your Instagram a little bit. I've seen you kind of going through what does my day of nutrition look like? It's, it's really fun stuff to watch. And, and it kind of in, encourages, as you say, that, that slow, informed, uh, joyful approach to, to changing your life. Yeah. Where can people access that? Yeah, my website is just my name, jasonfonger.com, and all my social media links are there. I'm pretty much at jasonfonger on just about every one. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I haven't been posting as much social media content as I would like lately. Just been, you know, doing a lot of the speaking stuff in, in schools, um, which really takes a lot of time with the training. But I really should be on there because I know that social media is such a great way to reach people. So I do need to carve my carve some time out. So if you don't see a lot of recent posts lately, then uh, yeah, give me, you know, send me a message and remind me that I need to put some stuff out there. But uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. It's just my website and then I'll have all my social media links there. Awesome. Well, I, even if you haven't been posting very recently, you are a, a wonderful source of information and inspiration uh, for, for the young people you speak to and even people like me who are just looking to slowly sort of upgrade life and, and behave in a more uh, ethical and conscientious manner in all phases. Um, if I have you right, the advice is be as informed as you can. Be critical about the sources that you're accessing in this big world of information. And as you make changes in your life, go slow, be kind to yourself, pursue joy, and if possible, do it with a community. Jason, it's been That's a real it. pleasure. Thanks for being here with Thanks, us. Thanks, Mike. Likewise. Anytime. Anytime. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day. All right. All the best in the future. And be sure to tune in again next week, where I'll be joined by Samin Barami, 
will be speaking to us about the state of violence and unrest in her home country of Iran.